Coming Up is a podcast brought to you by the dedicated and diverse volunteers at 3CR. Just a quick message before you get there. For the month of June, we're asking listeners to donate to the station to help us keep going. In 2023, we're asking our community to stay tuned, stay radical. We rely on the generous donations of community to survive. Go to 3cr.org.au slash donate and show your support for community-owned and community-run media. Thanks for your support and happy listening. City Limits. Brought to us by the People's Committee for Melbourne every Wednesday at 9am. City Limits is Melbourne's only hour devoted to our urban environment. To transport and planning and housing issues. To privatisations and our utility services. To building and or maintaining a sense of community. 855 on the AM band, if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City City Limits. Limits. Okay, Tower and Cement, and uh, we're on the air at 9.01. This is something of a record. Zeb Peek over there pressed the button, got us on air. Here we are. I'm Kevin Healy. Hello, Zeb. Hello. I am pressing the buttons. You are pressing the buttons. and Twiddling um, the dials. Yeah, disaster this morning. And When things go right, when every traffic light, get your bike catches every traffic light, the hills don't seem so bad, the wind isn't too bad, and you get here early, it's, you know, I just find it a disaster. Yeah, it's really thrown me. <laughs> but, it's, it's a, but it's a very pleasant morning for riding around, particularly coming to Edinburgh Gardens and that part of the world. So anyway, that was that. But here we are, City Limits, and it's the fourth Wednesday of the month, so we've got no specific subject today, but we have got a big subject. We're going to be talking in the second half of the um, half of the program to Josh Cohen and the Secretary of the uh, Retail and Fast Food Workers Union, which has really caused a stir in that area in the last few years and stirred up, and I think it seems to have stirred up even the very right-wing shop assistance association. They didn't even call themselves a union. Um, and uh, we're going to talk to Josh about what, he, what his, his views on that and the effectiveness of his union, but also the fact that at the moment there's a lot of industrial relations stuff being thrown around by the federal government and it's it's getting lots of opposition from the usual sources, of course, the business councils and the, you know all the usual suspects are saying it's terrible, it's going to destroy the world. And we'll discuss some of that with Josh. So it's virtually industrial relations this morning to discuss with Josh. Uh, and he got the one guest. Uh, our other guest we hoped to get uh, couldn't come on, but we have got her on on the um, second Wednesday next month, we hope. And oh, I think I've checked. Maybe our Radiothon Day is the 7th, I think. But if it isn't, we'll have to switch that other it, interview. Yeah, I think it anyway. might be the 14th. Oh, well, might it? Okay, all right. <laughs> all right. I just heard someone this morning say it was in two weeks, so that's. I thought that was the 7th. But, uh, anyway. Uh I could be wrong. Yeah, well, but one anyway, of us is wrong. Either you're is wrong coming. or I'm wrong. Yeah. One of us is, that's right. Radio and one of us is, is therefore correct. coming soon. Um, I'm going to pour play, you a tea. Yeah, you know what? I'll play the Radiothon um, community service announcement right, during yeah. our break. Yeah. And then all of our listeners will definitely know. <laughs> what day? Okay. <laughs> okay. Got to get up to get the tea. Little moment yeah. of quiet there while right. we. Oh, I thought you were. I was waiting for, I was, I was waiting for this wonderful uh, bit of information to come on air and tell us what we're doing. <laughs> oh, yeah. How, why not? Let's do it right now. Yeah. Throughout the month of June, we'll be asking you, the listener, to support radical community owned media during our Radiothon. 
We'll be taking donations online, over the phone and in the station to help keep 3CR going for another year. Fierce, independent community media is vital and we need your support to keep radical voices and issues on the airwaves. The 3CR Radiothon kicks off in June. To donate, go to 3cr.org.au. Call the station on 03 or drop in at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy, during business hours. 3CR, stay tuned, stay radical. It didn't help. No, it's, well, it's in June, <laughs> that we know. I'm fairly sure, I'm 90% sure that um, the main um, the one for us yeah. is on the 14th, even though it does start earlier. Um, for community language shows, it's a week earlier, I think. Um, right, right. Well, I'm, I'm not 100% sure of anything. I'm not even 1% sure of anything, so <laughs> I'll... I'll, I'll I'll go run with you. Yeah, we'll just run around blindly. It means we'll have but to push that other interview back a couple of weeks, that's all. Yeah. Which is actually about hydrogen, um, just to let people know. People might know when we talked to uh, Freya two weeks ago, the faux person on gas, she mentioned at the end she'd also like to talk to us about hydrogen and droll, and uh, I thought we'd tee her up on that one, but um, we had hoped to do it. Well, if it's not the 14th, we'll do it on the 4th Wednesday, but certainly it's worth talking about because it's a subject that's... Uh, also looming large in the energy debate. It is. Okay. Uh, now, I just quickly kick off with um, the, the Herald Sun got stuffed up yesterday, actually. Um, it got the, kicked the week off well in its normal way of exclusive experts slam state government for trying to blame RBA, that's the Reserve Bank, over Victoria's reckless spending spree as horror budget looms, then a big headline, sinking to new low, with a very clever spelling of low, of course, with an E on the end, the Reserve Bank governor. Uh, so we get stuck into Dan Andrews and the terrible, terrible Labor government here in Victoria. Uh, and today, of course, the post-budget... Um, it's um, it's just, you know, 10 years of pain, Victorians pay price, debt soaring, on they go, and then the big one, Dan made debt disaster. But sadly, I think we can probably get four days this week of headlines attacking Dan Andrews, and I don't want to defend him, but my God, do they get stuck into him. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but yesterday they got stuffed up because a footy coach resigned, and that was obviously the biggest news of the well, in the whole world. And um, so Dan got pushed back a couple of pages to the story that said what a terrible person he was. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> he missed the first yeah. page. Yeah, bad luck. But anyway, that, that was that. But that's that. And they also had a story in the last couple of days telling us that they're the most, um, the most, they, the figures show they're the most revered influencer um, in the media. Uh, and it's interesting they use the word influencer, not well-read, not the most read, not the mm. most biggest circulation, influencer, which yeah. is what Murdoch tries to do, of course. But in fact, it's not true because you know, for, the, for many years now, they've attacked Dan Andrews and the state Labor Party mercilessly, almost day after day, front page stories about how terrible they are, commentaries inside about how terrible they are, and they keep winning elections by more every time. Um, so really the... And in other in other areas of influence, um, they, they've, they've waned incredibly. And I think it's due to the fact that less people, I still do, but, you know, I'm an older person, but less people now read newspapers anyway. And uh, so much of the uh, news people get is now online and other ways. And I, But certainly it's waning and they 
the, the influence of Murdoch, even though he's a dreadful, they're a dreadful mob, um, has certainly waned incredibly. And it, it's but they're perhaps trying to get it back, calling themselves influencers. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I don't know. That's fascinating to me that they would admit that that is. <laughs> Their their goal is to influence. Mm. Um, I feel Isn't like it? most other newspapers would at least show a pretense of um, being bipartisan, objective. objective. <laughs> so, no, not Rupert. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. As I always said when I was working for him for seven years, I lasted in that empire. But uh, I always said, you know, the role of the journalist was simply to fill in the blank spaces between the ads, and it's pretty true, actually. It's what yeah. you do. <laughs> we do have to have a program one day dedicated yeah. to your adventures. <laughs> <laughs> the ads are all that matters as far as Rupert's concerned. Yeah. Um, but there's also a, a story doing uh, come around where uh, some weeks ago, again, the Herald Sun beat it up madly, uh, where clubs, particularly they were sympathy for the poor old RSL, or the poor old soldiers, um, where they're poking machines, if they've got some they can't use, but they're still getting hit with a state tax on them. But now the government has not only decided to waive the tax on them following all this outcry, but they've decided to virtually give them money and compensate them for... Then I think, you know, in that situation, these places that have been making a fortune out of uh, out of gambling and out of particularly problem gamblers, uh, you know, they should pay the price themselves, in my opinion. But anyway, that's um, mm, yeah, that's how it goes, as they say in the song. <laughs> um, that song, that's quarter to three. That's that's that song. That's, there's no one in the place except you and me. That song. That's where that word, that line comes in. Right. Um, <laughs> Did, you, that, did, that, did that help you at all? No, you, no, right okay. over my head. But I'd love to hear the song. <laughs> I might bring it in next week and let you hear it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> right. Uh, I could see that look at your thought. What the hell is he talking about? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is interesting. The, the government this week has decided to bring in new regulations, this is the federal government in this case, new regulations. Um, for the um, buy now, pay later people, uh, which are really just credit mobs and they rip people off madly as they do, you know, a bit like those payday lenders, you know, the interest rates, etc., are pretty dreadful. Uh, But uh, the the reaction has been pretty astonishing. The headline in the Financial Review yesterday was new regulations will, in brackets, throttle buy now, pay later providers. So the poor dears are going to... Oh, isn't it shocking? Um, tougher requirements for credit checking could f- could force Afterpay to invest to update the systems used to admit new customers. The new rules, which will prevent automatic credit limit um, increases, are also likely to throttle industry volumes, according to stockbrokers Shore and Partners. Isn't that terrible that these people um, are going to have to spend money to continue ripping off their customers? Yeah, oh, but... It's also such an annoying framing. What about the throttling of people that have found themselves in a in a debt spiral because of um, using having to, you know, having no more options but to use those um, services and getting caught by them? So yeah, it's frustrating. I'm surprised to hear you say that because really, I mean, those people you're talking about who are being throttled by these people haven't got profit or shareholders to think about, just themselves. Very selfish, really. (laughs) 
of course. <laughs> You've completely changed my mind, Kevin. That's right. I have. I knew I'd get across to you. Um, also, another one screaming and yelling all the way from the bank. Um, uh, the um, the people who still sell bloody cigarettes and, uh, and, 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 and more particularly these days, the vaping things, um, e-cigarettes. Mm, yes, um, there's some new legislation uh, yeah, about that. Yeah, and new legislation again on that one. Um, but the, the, the headline in that case, this is in The Age, is ban will send livelihoods up in smoke, vape retailers, and they complain, complain, complain that if they're banned, they suddenly could be left with all this stock they can't get rid of. And it's, they all, they, none of them, one's interviewed, tell you that they break the law by selling nicotine ones to kids. Uh, they all observe yeah, the Yeah, and just and, not putting nicotine on the... <laughs> Anywhere on the packaging. No, no, that's right. And, uh, and of course, they still sell cigarettes anyway. And uh, so I suppose you've got to, in fact, you know, you've got to keep building your customer base because they're all going to be dying off with what you sell them. <laughs> oh, no. That's such a... Well, that's true, actually. Yeah. I mean, they're, yeah. They're selling a product that kills people. Yeah. And uh, it ain't good at... I mean, there are some, there are some encouraging signs there. I... I spent a year working for a mob called um, called uh, Mop Up, which was effectively the front for Bugger Up, which used to bugger up the cigarette ads. Um, and we we ran a campaign against cigarette advertising at the you know sponsorships at the time. We used to go to the ballet and hand out uh, leaflets about what the ballet was about. And in the end, they're all on they're all smoking. And in the end, the place has gone up in flames and. We went to a horse, went to horse racing where they were sponsoring and had blokes dressed, you know, with cigarettes and collapsing and asked them to give the give the winner a ca- a carton to smoke and but you know it broke. I think we played a key role in breaking advertising, but overall the whole campaign against smoking over the years, you know, well, I think in those days it was something like a thirty eight percent of people even back then still smoked. Yeah. And now it's down to a very very mm-hmm. low amount and it and the economy. I mean, you're still seeing working class people buying cigarettes and they're paying, what, $40, $50 a packet or something now with all the taxes on them. I and mean, it's, it's unbelievable, but hopefully we'll, it, will, it will die out rather than its customers in the short term. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, but we had a lot of fun um, attacking them, I must admit. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> in fact, the bloke called, this is a bit of an anecdote, but I'm going to pour myself another bit of tea too. Yes. Um, and uh, please, I love anecdotes. Well, uh, there was one race meeting where Keith Stackpole, who was an ex-opening cricket, a very good opening batsman for Australia, but he, he worked for the uh, tobacco company and they'd sponsored the race. And in that, sort of seconds between the chairperson or whatever in introducing Keith to come and give the prize to the winner, uh, I was on the fence. And in that five seconds, I yelled out, give the winner a carton, Keith. And he broke down laughing. Even he he, could, <laughs> he sort of couldn't go on. He was sort of gone. So that was uh, a little bit effective, yeah. 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 Well, it's interesting. Like I'm thinking about the comparison <laughs> sort of uh, now there's there's a lot of talk about um, sports and advertising fossil fuel companies, and um, you know there was that thing with when uh, the Australian netball team a while back um, dropping dropping advertising for one of Gina Hein Reinhardt's companies. But anyway, yeah, it's like a there's been a progression from tobacco to to fossil fuels in the sports advertising realm. 
Well, Gina last week made a speech in which she said the federal government's letting down the mining industry by not giving it enough support. Um, and uh, also, she also attacked the industrial relations laws, which she said were crippling the mining industry as well. So poor Gina. Um, in fact, in the satire piece I do, I had a, I, he asked her, you know, well, what, what can they do for you, Gina? She said, well, put their money where my mouth is, she said. Um, <laughs> which, um, she, uh, which is what she's really asking for. She's asking the federal government to fund her uh, getting richer and richer and richer. Uh, but one very good thing, speaking of resource industry, mm, very very good yes. segue there. <laughs> um, and there's a great decision in the federal court in the last couple of days. Um, it uh, and in fact it was taken there by Yana Pingu, who died, of course, a couple of months ago, uh, and had a, a memorial ceremony for him or a funeral for him just a week or so ago. Um, but he took this case to court, uh, arguing that the federal government back in 1968, which granted a mining license to Nabelco, uh, but, uh, and that's been passed on to a different company, but the mine's still there, that they had no right to do it um, under, you know, because, they had, because they actually took over the land that belonged to the indigenous people and then granted the mining license. And the federal government argued, well, that was part of their right because the Commonwealth, that uh, under Section 51 of the Constitution, they uh, they can run, they can um, acquire property on just terms, and it's typically used to buy land to build public infrastructure. And their argument was, well, you weren't building public infrastructure; you were passing it on to a private company, and that's not right. Uh, and in fact, the court ruled against the the federal government, against the Crown, and in favour of the Indigenous people and his case. So they're actually now going to receive compensation and people estimate the compensation could run to many millions of dollars. But the government now is really showing um, um, problems because the Commonwealth barrister uh, said the trial, that said that the trial that they winning the case could have potentially huge consequences in terms of further compensation cases, potentially other than in areas where all native title was extinguished, you have invalidity of everything done by the Crown in relation to land between 1911 and 1978, mm. she said. Um, and a, a Gumach clan leader and Pingu's brother, Jaja Jawa Yanapingu said the full federal court decision could open up a slew of new compensation claims by traditional owners and... Uh, the, the, the amount of compensation is yet to be determined by the court, but it's, it's a great decision and yeah. uh, it certainly opens the way for, uh, for lots of uh, promising, promising cases in the future. So that's good. Yes. Definite positive. Yeah, can't believe it, Kevin. You giving positive news. Yeah, I know it's awful, but it, it, it but so positive. I thought it worth talking about. That's right. <laughs> uh, but uh, also, we mentioned last week that poor old Santos. They they went to court and argued that the Tiwi Islanders were not relevant persons in relation to having a um, a pipeline go past their door, go past under their their waterways because they this. This Barossa project is, you know, off the coast, north of Australia, northwest of Australia, but they plan to run the pipeline. I think everyone knows this past the Barossa, past the Kiwi Islands, and it's their, you know, fishing areas. It's their traditional areas, and uh, the court 
sadly ruled that uh, they were relevant persons and St. Ellis had to consult with them. So they're running ads about how they care and all that sort of stuff. But I think I mentioned last week that despite their new concern for Indigenous people and how they care about them, when it comes to the Beetaloo Basin and fracking, where they've had permission from the Northern Territory Government to frack the place against the wishes of Indigenous people, they Indigenous people there obviously aren't relevant persons on their own land in that case because Santos mm. doesn't ha- hasn't been forced to do anything about it, so it's done nothing about it. Uh, but the the unfortunately the ingratitude of these uh, Tiwi, Tiwi Islanders uh, knows no bounds, unfortunately, um, Zeb, because uh, they've now taken their case to the banks who are funding the uh, Barossa project and asking them not to fund it. I mean, isn't that cruel? <laughs> 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 oh, Kevin, your sarcasm just goes goes very far sometimes. <laughs> it's terrible, but uh, anyway, uh, we. But of course, even though they're told to consult and all that, they, you know, they're determined it's going to go ahead. I mean, that's the awful problem that they're mm. going to go ahead, and they, and they they actually run. They actually say um, that they'll, you know, it'll be as as least least damaging as possible, I think is one of the phrases they use in one of their ads. Like, like that's admitting it's going to it's cause gonna problems. It's going to be damaging, yeah. 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 Uh, and um, uh, I'm not sure I can find the particular piece, but oh, here it is. Yes, they say... Um, they say the environment that um, you know, the, the relevant person to be consulted, the proposed activity, the environment that may be affected by the proposed activity, potential environmental impacts and risks, and proposed control measures. This is the bit to seek to reduce any impacts and risks to as low as reasonably practicable, as an at an acceptable level. Now, as low as reasonably practical means as low as they can get it down without spending too much money doing it, yeah. I would think. But it also implies that there's going to be damage, I yeah. would have thought. Yeah. So therefore, why go ahead at all? Um, that's that's a rhetorical question. You can't answer that. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> well, it answers itself, doesn't it? Yes. Um, Speaking of um, big mining companies, Shell had its AGM recently in London and another little bit of good news is that there was a, a good amount of protest at the AGM. Um, some some protesters got inside the building um, and kicked up a fuss and obviously everyone at Shell was uh, was very offended um, but it was it was it sounded like it was quite a successful um, protest and I, I enjoyed watching the videos of people shouting um, shut down Shell and Shell, go to hell Shell. <laughs> there's, a lot of, there's a lot of ways you can spin it. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that, and of course, they, 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 those people all get insulted when people invade their territory, so to speak. Um, but of course, all they, that's their whole life. Their life is invading other people's territory all the time and, and, yeah. us, and usually destroying it. I mean, with Shell. Shell in Nigeria, of course, is infamous, notorious for its activities there. And people there are still trying to, well, they're still living with massive pollution caused by Shell. And and even, you know, we know campaigners against Shell there were literally executed by the government there, which um, sided with the resource industry, of course. And, uh, I mean, it's a bit serious when you protest and you get hung for protesting about your land being polluted, but that's what happened. Yeah. And uh, that's on Shell's uh, that's on Shell's neck, so to speak. But it was unfortunately it wasn't their neck. Um, and um, yeah, these. But then they get upset. It's like when you go. We've done it a few times over the years. 
bit old for it now, but we, you know, got when some minister or someone's upsetting people, you go to their house and have some protest there, and the media and everyone gets so upset that you invade their privacy. But you know, what they're doing is invading everyone else's privacy anyway, and uh, I think we have every right to, uh, to invade their privacy in those sort of situations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you There's, have anything more on the, on the state budget? Um, oh, other than the the only positive, I think, seems to be that, well, the one they're hitting, they have at least where they're raising money, they do seem to be doing it off the more wealthy. That's that's a positive. Mm-hmm. Um, and secondly, the decision on state forests is very good, yep. if we can believe that it. I mean, exciting. do you want to talk about that? Because it's, um, it's certainly, a, you know, as long as... as it's yeah. next year, but as long as it does, in the meantime, yeah. etc. But it's it's certainly that does seem at face value to be a positive. Yes, I think yeah. as Friends of the Earth, uh, their media release says, you know, the devil's in the details, um, and so it's not a time to get complacent. But at the same time, I I think it is really good news, um, and it's also you know just um, like common sense at this point to be stopping native logging because there isn't really that much left to log um but yeah that was good news in the budget i did see a good thing from uh, the greens well not a good thing but um an interesting quote um was from samantha ratman um she sent out an email about the the state budget and it said um let me find this. The, the Labor government is spending four times more money on the racing industry than on helping people in housing stress or who are experiencing homelessness. Now, I don't really like the racing industry. I know that you uh, enjoy it, Kevin. But I think that even you would admit that um, spending four times the amount of money on racing compared to helping people who are who are homeless is is a bit extreme. Well, they should spend none. I mean, I I would argue that as as with the stadium in Hobart for the footy and everything else and all the other grounds there, the federal the governments are picking up, you know, up upgrading places like Cadinia Park at Geelong and those places. I think none of that should be coming from the government. These these people are now big businesses and they should pay for it. That's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there was a bit of good news and, you know, mostly disappointing news, as I suppose the budgets normally yeah. are. <laughs> yeah, well, I haven't really looked closely yet at what, what it did with things like housing and transport and energy and stuff we do talk about other than that, and, but we'll certainly pick them up on those relevant programs mm-hmm. in the next few weeks. And I think we'll find there wasn't much there for any of that stuff. But uh, anyway, but, but certainly that one on, on forestry is, uh, is, a, is a breakthrough. They, they did announce, you know, as we know, two years ago, they announced that it would end in 2030. Yeah. Uh, now, it's interesting to see about that because the 2030 was chosen at the time because a, a company, a Japanese-based company um, down there, which wood chips primarily, had a contract or 2030 to use native timber. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it was presumed that the 2030 was chosen to avoid having to compensate them for breaking the contract. So what's happened to that, I'm not sure. It would be interesting to know that. that. That's something that's in the detail somewhere, I think, that we need to look at. And whether the company was, maybe the company just abandoned it or something, I don't know, mm-hmm. but whatever. But that, the 2030 was chosen for that purpose, but certainly bringing it back six years. Because by 2030, there would have been absolutely nothing left. Yeah. Well, um, we're coming up to our break and then our um, guest interview, but is there anything else pressing we, we need to discuss? Not not pressing, but I thought 
Um, I think this week we've seen some pretty amazing comments about the voice. Um, it, it, you know, we've had, we've had, what's his name, Dutton, that mm. bloke, um, and an ex-Labor poly called Gary Johns, who's arts-conservative, all telling us it's going to divide the community and uh, telling us it's going to give us different classes of society. And, you know, it's as if up till now we've all been so equal. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's, it assumes that Indigenous people have had absolutely equal rights with, with the rest of the country for 200 and whatever it is now, 40 years or something, 30 years. Um uh, and of course, it's so unreal. It's so absolutely unreal. And also, they talk about making separate laws for, uh, which is terrible for various people, and it's racist. Uh, we already make separate laws for yeah. Indigenous people anyway. Yeah. I, mean, it's, it's, I just find the whole thing amazing. Um, yeah, I I feel like, you know, there's um, really awesome First Nations shows on 3CR. You can probably hear, um, you know, a much better breakdown of of what's going on but what i would definitely say is that anything that comes out of ex-cop dutton's mouth i'm not going to listen to about this <laughs> this subject what you're not no faith in an ex-queensland copper <laughs> none at all <laughs> and of course last week we mentioned the price waterhouse um uh scandal and um it's been making the news pretty big time since then but it's uh you know, the government's still talking about maybe it might have to not give them a contract for a while, etc. And what's coming out are also the massive figures in which these big companies are getting government spending and, and the cutback in public service. At least, this uh, we've said, this government, the federal government's trying to redress that by building up the public service. But they're still handing out massive contracts to these people. Um, and I think PricewaterhouseCooper, which, you know, clearly... Uh, for a number of years, made fortunes out of getting private government information on taxes and then giving it to its clients. I mean, also the whole concept that you've got a company, uh, you're, you're seeking its advice on building, making tax laws for its clients, then it goes to its clients and tells them how to avoid it. Well, they're not going to give you a law that hasn't got a loophole. Um, you know, why not have public servants and, and, and legal people in the public service do the law mm. so it doesn't have the loophole <laughs> or if it has a, you know, they'll always find a loophole but then you close that, lock that up as well. But it's outrageous that these people are consulted in the first place, in my opinion. But Yeah, uh, well, it's another example of the dangers of privatisation where you lose the expertise within the government um, and then, you know, in order to, to get expert advice, they have to or, or at at least they have been going to private companies to get that um, and then you know you're going to come across this problem and PricewaterhouseCoopers is not the only consulting firm that they use and it's yeah it's like a kind of a big question about maybe they should uh, be changing their ways quite dramatically. Yeah, and as you come into Spencer Street Station or leave it um, going toward or coming in from Spencer Street uh, to Flinders Street Station coming in from Spencer Street, um, almost the first building you see with that massive bank of South Bank buildings and high-rise, you know, fortunes in real estate that uh, do nothing for the homeless, uh, one of the big signs is PWC, of course, and every time I see it I think, what have they done for society and the answer is absolutely nothing. 
absolutely nothing. All they've done is make money for themselves, mm. um, which is the only reason these people exist. But uh, they do tell us, though, I found it fascinating. We'll go to our guest now, but I, I find it fascinating that yet again, like every other scandal that's broken in the, in the, in, in the uh, corporate world, they tell us that this scandal does not represent their company's values. So at least we know that, don't we? That's, that, that, in, that encourages us no end. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get Josh Cohen on, this, on the show. Yeah. And um, before we do, a short song, um, Tired of Being Alone by Al Green. listening to City Limits on 3CR and that was Tired of Being Alone by Al Green. Um, and now we've got our guest on the line from the Retail and Fast Food Workers Union. Hi Josh, how are you going? G'day, that's going really well. Awesome. Good. Josh, we've got you on today because um, last time we had you on, we talked about the way the, the alternative, the, not even a union, the Shoppers Association, they call themselves, uh, have been so right-wing for so many years and done deals with bosses. But it strikes me that 
in the last few months, um, the union seems to be sounding more radical and, um, and, and, take, and in fact seems to be at times even fighting for its members, for God's sake. Um, I'm wondering whether you feel that has anything to do with the fact that you've come along and are stirring them up. Well, I think uh, certainly the emergence of our union and the militant approach we're taking in stores has seen them have to shift their rhetoric um, and, and at least at the worker level to describe things in a different way to workers. Um, for the first few years, they just attacked us, um, but now they're being pushed to have to describe themselves as something other than what they are. Uh, but, but certainly, uh, once we scratch through that veneer, uh, many of the same conservative issues still arise um, in the way that they engage politically and in the way that they sell out workers to bosses. In what way? Well, for example, uh, right now we're bargaining at Bunnings and, and a lot of media over the last week has been about a special deal they say they've cut with Bunnings, which will increase workers' wages. Uh, but in truth, over the last four years, Bunnings workers have had 5% total wage increase over four years. And this year, we're just weeks away, or days away, from a Fair Work Commission increase, which will probably be at least 5 maybe even more than 6%. And the deal they've cut is for only 4.5%. Now, they're not... That they're rushing, they're helping Bunnings rush that through with a vote before the Fair Work Commission decision. And then it'll be tested against an award which hasn't been increased for that Fair Work Commission decision in July. So they're helping bosses still in those same old ways that they've always helped them, uh, which cost workers uh, fortunes. Yeah. Have you got members in Bunnings? We do. We're, we're representing well over 100 members at the moment. We, we've had uh, members come along to those bargaining meetings. The first members, uh, the only workers ever to turn up to Bunnings' bargaining table have been uh, our members, Sandra, uh, back in the day, uh, so four years ago. But over the last month, we've had uh, three delegates turn up to bargaining meetings at every meeting. Um, and we've, we've been able to sec secure some outcomes. So um, they, the company will consider... Uh, four-day weeks and nine-day fortnights. There's no real promises around that. It's just that they'll consider it. And a fifth week of annual leave for non-casual workers um, will be phased in, um, as it has been at IKEA, um, and that'll be phased in over the next three years. Mm. And so there's been some improvements there, but this agreement should be far, far better. That's but interesting. That's, that's not where it's... Go on, sorry, sorry go on. You go on, yeah. I was just going to say that this isn't where their their action stops. That they're, the SDA and their politicians are active members of what's called the OSIS group, which is a group in Parliament which um, which actively backs uh, climate changing industries, um, and you know is a key stakeholder in um, ensuring that gas and coal and other non renewable energy is exported in Australia. Um, and so the, the, the conservative nature of the way that SDA conducts itself. Um, hasn't changed. It's the, the veneer of what they express um, to workers in the media is, is taken a different course over these last couple of years. Mm. And has the election of a Labor government done anything to change them a bit as well? Well, it's an interesting... It, it is an interesting thing with the new laws. The SDA was um, able to have Labor, um, and big business as well, was able to have Labor uh, weaken the better-off overall test. Uh, the Greens were able to um, reduce the impact of that, and, and we, we exposed a few key things, but it has weakened slightly. 
Um, but one of the big changes was uh, the introduction of a new law, which we called the Coles Law. Coles had refused to bargain with us for three years. And we'd been going to the Fair Work Commission trying to get majority support determinations and other things. Um, but in December, there was um, a change in the law which allowed us to compel Coles to come to the bargaining table. What we now know is that the SDA has used that law as well to um, call on dozens of retail, big retail companies to return to the bargaining table. Now, we, we think what's really behind this is the SDA, um, in, in conjunction with Labor, is looking to have a whole range of retail agreements renegotiated with very little change in their conditions. Um, and so I was talking to one retailer yesterday and they've been top required to come to the bargaining table. They just are looking with the SDA to replace the current deal. But we expect, expect over the coming weeks and months, um, Tony Burke and the Labor government will come out and talk about how their laws have gotten bargaining going again in retail. What it means for workers, though, is, is very little change. Um, and, you know, for the vast majority of these big, big companies, the conditions are not changing. The wages are still the minimum award rates. Um, and so I think the, the SDA is certainly um, hand in glove with the Labor Party and we're seeing some change to the laws. But we need to see radical change. We need to see the right to strike returned. We need to see casual work abolished. Um, and those sorts of changes uh, aren't being pursued by anyone. Yeah, and of course those big retailers have been sprung time and again for underpaying by millions. Um, does, what's the union's role in that, for God's sake? Yeah, well, I mean, there's a, two groups. Um, so um, the employers that recruit for the SDA, so if you Woolworths, Coles, Officeworks, Bunnings, um, Domino's, KFC, those types of employers um, are never the target of SDA action. But when an employer um, crosses them and so, uh, for example, cuts them off. So McDonald's in 2020, after we got back the award, which massively increased workers' wages because the agreement that the SDA did had no penalty rates um, or other conditions. Um, once we got back that award, uh, the SDA was cut off by Maccas. So Maccas notoriously anti-union. Um, and for, for 20 years, Australia was the only country in the world where they had a relationship uh, with the SDA. Um, and they made about $150 million a year off the back of it. Um, but once the agreement was gone, Maccas cut them off, no longer recruited for them and no longer had payroll deductions for their workers to the SDA. Uh, and what we've seen now is the SDA, on, um, in a competing with the class actions that we're involved in, uh, are suing McDonald's, spending millions and millions of dollars of, of, of their members' money uh, pursuing Maccas um, and trying to teach them a lesson uh, for cutting them off. Um, and so there are two groups of employers, certainly your Woolies, your Coles, your others, where there is uh, a relationship. Uh, SDA does nothing to pursue worker rights. Uh, and then for some of these others, like Maccas, um, the, um, the SDA uh, tries to take it up to them and, uh, and spend squillions um, trying to teach them a lesson so that the others never cut them off. That's what it's all about. Um, this is the way yellow unions work um, and, and there's no surprise there. Mm, that's interesting. Um, for you, what do you see coming up in the future like in terms of um, what you can achieve and you know, what opportunities there might be to, to push um, retailers and fast food organisations further? 
Yeah, um, I think that there's a couple of things. One is is we are waiting for decisions in, in the Macca's class action, but also Domino's class action, which has been going for four years. Some of those big cases will expose what's gone on with the SDA um, and how much workers have lost. And, and we think that that really will underline um, the impact of 50 years of, of the SDA in these sectors. But then there's the task of building genuine democratic and fighting unions um, that, that really is RAFU's main aim. And so we've been building our delegates network over the last three years. Um, and uh, we've got a vibrant delegates network and a, and a committee of retail and fast food workers from across Australia. And so we want to continue building that. Um, the, the, the second thing is, is that bargaining is underway across our sectors. So we've got all of the major retailers, Coles, Leeds, Kmart, um, Bunnings, Ikea, Apple, H&M, OPSM, many others, all bargaining right now. Um, so we see this year as a big year for, for showing workers that when you take action, you get a better outcome. So we've already seen that in Apple. Um, in Apple, they put forward a really shoddy deal in September of last year, and our action saw that away. And then in October, they put forward another shoddy deal as we as our members engaged in the first national industrial action, first national strike in retail history in Australia, um, those workers uh, saw off that, uh, that dodgy deal with a big vote no. Um, and their members are continuing to take action and getting a better offer right now. We're also focused on Woolies and Coles, where we expect over the coming weeks and months, workers for the first time in Australian history will take national action industrial action, including stoppages and other things, um, to secure better deals at Woolies and Coles. And what we're really hopeful there is that our members' action um, delivers uh, some better outcomes. Now, we're not, we're not gilding the lily. We, we get that we don't have 50,000 members um, engaging in industrial action in these workplaces, but the power of even a small group of workers in these workplaces uh, standing up together and withholding their labour or engaging in other forms of action um, is, will no doubt improve the offer and improve on their conditions in their workplace. So, so for us, it's really about building on these great campaigns that we've run over the last two years, which we now have the best retail agreements in a few bookshops, um, and, uh, and we really want to build on that and show that workers, through their action, can achieve so much. Uh, and, and that's really our focus at the moment. Yeah, that's really awesome. Do you find um, with the big international companies like Apple and, and other things, um, is there much like international solidarity, um, you know, overseas uh, unions kind of working together? don't know if that would be something. It's a great question. Um, we're at the moment, we're gathering information from um, Apple workers across the world. Um, and there's a couple of technical things happening in bargaining where in, in, in Australia, they're holding out some things as big wins in Australia, and we've we found out from um, uh, from workers in in America and in Europe that those things have just been given to workers as mm -hmm. part of um, the ordinary stages. And so, we're, we're trying to expose more of that. And and over time, we want to build um, a, a militant approach uh, internationally. Uh, particularly at a place like Apple, where they're, they're, they're open with us. They, they, they say directly to us, if they give, for example, if they give menstruation leave in Australia, then there's going to be pressure on the company to do it elsewhere. Uh, if they give a certain wage increase in Australia, then there's going to be pressure elsewhere. So we're effectively bargaining for all workers and against a company operating in, everywhere, um, and a $3 trillion company at that. Um, so... 
so we see both sides of that pressure and we realise that the only way that workers are able to achieve sustainable and genuine outcomes and, and the outcomes they deserve is through their militant organised action internationally. Um, we're, we're still new, you know, we're six and a half years old, um, we're, we're, uh, we're punching well above our weight, um, but uh, we do have aspirations of, you know, joining with the international working class to secure much better outcomes um, for all workers, including in Australia. It was interesting during the maritime dispute when Reith was arguing, he was then the minister, of course, for the people who don't know, um, <clears throat> was arguing that Australian waterside workers had to reach, quote, world's best practice. But then when the maritime union said, well, we all get an international ban on Australian shipping, Reith screamed and yelled that this was blackmail, apparently. So he could use the world um, world's best practice, but they couldn't. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. And that's... And that's what we're seeing. We're, 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 you know, at the bargaining table with a couple of different employers, uh, we're seeing um, these arguments, particularly around the minimum wage in Australia. Now, we've, we've got a, a wage-setting structure which dates back, you know, 115 years. Uh, it's, it's broken at the moment. It no longer deals with living wages. It deals with what are called minimum or poverty wages. Mm. Um, but we've got a minimum wage structure, and, and often that's thrown back at us that in some other countries, um, minimum wages uh, are lower and more retail workers live in poverty. Um, the reality is, is that in Australia, um, we expect a far greater, a far greater situation and, and, in re- and, and the award structure that we've, uh, that the, the employers have come to rely on so heavily is the, is the least that we should be, uh, that we should be securing. But our members now want a range of other conditions from, from, um, secure jobs to, um, various forms of, uh, of progressive leave. Um, to safer workplaces. You know, a key claim in a lot of our bargaining at the moment is just that if someone is assaulted or their life threatened, that they should shut, shut the shop. They should treat it as a crime scene and they should shut the shop and they should make sure everyone's safe. And, and for, for some reason, that is beyond the pale for these employers. Um, it's, it's something that they will just never agree to because they need to keep their shops open, even when their own workers are assaulted or attacked in the workplace. So, so there are lots of things that, that we need to achieve, um, and we're only just getting started. Okay, we're talking to Josh Cullinan from the Retail and Fast uh, Fast Food Workers Union. Josh, you mentioned earlier about the right getting back the right to strike and all those other rights that under the wreath legislation and then work choices were taken away, and unions unions acting as unions effectively became illegal. Um, I was reading the other day. Uh, I was asked to do a comment on it, so I was reading. Um, in, I don't know if you've read it, Diane Kirkby's History of the Seamen's Union, but she talks about during the 73 to 89, the, the Pinochet coup in Chile, the role the Seamen Union played, and it maintained its bans despite pleas from Hawke and from um, the Wheat Board and from the, the governments of Australia um, right through that period. But if it did it today, they'd all go to jail, wouldn't they? I mean, it, it, all that sort of thing's become totally illegal under industrial legislation. Yeah, that's right. And um, and we, we think about this a lot, which I'll, I'll get to in a sec, but, but you're absolutely mm. right. And, and not only that, but the Liberal and Labor government have funded to the tune of well over $100 million the Fair Work Ombudsman, you know, which when it comes to militant unions that actually fight for workers is a ruthless cop. Um, And um, it's not that that these employers need to fund action against 
um, against unions that are simply trying to stand up for the most oppressed workers in the world and their communities. It's that there is a cop on the beat that will target and will litigate um, those unions and officials and members uh, for doing it. Um, and it should be removed from the purview of the Fair Work Ombudsman. I mean, we've got such endemic wage theft and exploitation of migrant workers in Australia, but none of that is really getting dealt with. Um, what, what, what is um, on their radar at all times. And I think that the campaign by the CFMMEU um, at the moment about the Fair Work Ombudsman is right on point about what role do they really play uh, in a situation where unions should be um, taking, um, taking employers to, to task. Um, but, but that broader issue is, has been in stark relief for us for the last month. We were really wrapped to um, sponsor and assist getting uh, Taslima and Rupali Akta from uh, Bangladesh over to talk about garment work and the Rana Plaza collapse. Um, and, and we're in that supply chain, just like the MUA and their members are in it. But our members sell those, those garments in the shops. Um, and there's a reality that if you're buying a $5 pair of pyjamas at Kmart, um, someone's paying for that, and, and that is almost certainly a young woman being exploited, and um, and all the things that go with that in um, in in South and and Southeastern Asia. Um, and so we would we believe it's it's the right thing to do, um, even though um, it's currently unlawful, for all all workers to act together to improve the conditions to just a minimum living standard. But that, right now. If our members at Kmart or if our members at, at any of the other retailers um, took action in support of workers being exploited in those countries, um, they would be up for massive fines and so would the union. Um, so these, uh, the, the same goes for you know, solidarity action or um, support action here in Australia. If, if workers at, you know, we're bargaining at Bunnings or at Coles, if workers at the Coles distribution centres took action um, in support, uh, they would again be... Um, targeted um, and prosecuted. So these these old laws um, that you know really are from a bygone era now, where we need to just restore the fundamental human right, um, and that is to to strike, to withdraw your labour. The, the age of slaves and masters and servants um, should be well behind us, and um, and they should be fundamental law changes. The Greens promised that they would have these laws in place or that they would pursue them. So far, we've seen nothing um, to restore the right to strike. Yeah, and of course, um, of course, uh, yeah, I forgot what I was going to say then, but never mind. I do want to push on though, because um, the Business Council of Australia last week um, said that the laws the government's bringing in for same job, same pay um, would have a perverse effect on workers' jobs and pay. Now, if you, what they're saying, I think, is if you give these people equal pay and equal conditions, it has a diverse effect, perverse effect on them. Is, it, is that so? I mean, <laughs> it's just um, it's just remarkable, isn't it? Um, so, so these bosses have used probably for at least thirty or forty years, maybe longer. Um, they've been using independent contracting, subcontracting, jam contracting, all sorts of systems to cut the wages and conditions. I remember. 25 years ago, I was representing workers at a um, at um, some Amcor um, sites uh, that made paper and or made cardboard, um, and uh, those workers were marched out the front door with their redundancy, and then in the back door um, into new contracted out jobs at 80 uh, percent of the pay, 20 percent pay cuts, um, and and these kinds of practices across manufacturing and then across all industries over the last 30 years has 
have been absolutely disastrous for working conditions. And one of the things, it also um, stifles innovation. You know, we, we've had some big, big blues with a company called Milk Run that were offering 10-minute um, or, uh, or very fast deliveries in and around the CBDs of Melbourne and Sydney. Um, and, and what we've seen is Coles and Woolworths partner with Uber to smash their business model and send them broke. And so whilst Milk Run was employing direct, directly employing their riders and, and their pickers and their shoppers um, to deliver these goods to customers, um, Coles and Woolies have just partnered with Uber, which we know, the whole Uber structure, um, and um, to undercut them and to smash their business model. And, and this is where, um, and in a whole range of other situations where new laws need to come in, um, promising workers uh, at least minimum wages, but then taking it to that next step. Same job, same pay. So, so no employer can, can contract out its work um, in a way which just really undermines the conditions. Um, it's, it's fundamental and it's something which should have been done a long time ago. Well, in an extraordinary comment, yesterday's front page headline in the Fin Review, Union admits Labor policy aims to drive up pay. How terrible. <laughs> BHP right to fear 1.3 billion wages hit and BHP says it complained the policy would cost it 1.3 billion a year and threaten serious damage to every level of the Australian economy if it's actually forced to pay its workers. It's just, it's just ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, we would say that BHP needs to reflect on, on the difference in safety and the difference in conditions. When I was last in Broken Hill and I went to the memorial there, you can walk down this avenue and, and kid after kid, 15-year-olds, 16-year-olds, 12-year-olds and older workers as well, killed in those mines, you know, and you reckon that BHP, Broken Hill Proprietary Limited, would, would be able to reflect on just how much safer workplaces are when workers are directly employed and workers are paid living wages. Um, so, you know, these types of companies need to just get out of the way and um, and we do need to stand together to improve some of these core conditions. Mm. In a satire piece I do at this station, I refer to BHP as bloody huge profits, bloody huge polluter, which pretty well sums them up, doesn't it? But it certainly does, especially you know, some of the things that they're doing overseas and their subsidiaries are doing overseas at the moment. It's just what happened here um, and, and, and worse. Um, but some of the things they and others are doing in various communities in Australia as well are just um, are just obscene. So, um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's all about profit, but that's that's the way that these businesses are structured and all we have is our solidarity and our action. Yeah, we've only got a minute left, Josh, so any final comment? Uh, no, I think, you know, as I said before, our, our focus this year, we encourage any listeners as well as you hear about or see these actions which will be happening um, in the not-too-distant future, do get down, do support the workers at your Coles or Woolies or elsewhere that are engaging in action. Um, through spreading that word and through um, your solidarity, we can certainly get better outcomes. OK, thanks, Josh. Look, we'll talk to you again, but thanks for your time this morning. Thank you. Thanks for having me. OK, thanks a lot, Josh Cohen there, who's, as we said, Secretary of the uh, Retail and Fast Food Workers Union, uh, ZEP. Yeah, amazing stuff. And a big plug to 3CR because Radiothon's coming up, but he did refer to them bringing out the young woman who was at Rana Plaza when it went down, and twice in the last week I've heard her speech replayed on this station, so uh, mm-hmm. it's something you only hear on 3 If you didn't listen to 3CR, you wouldn't know she was here unless you went to the rally. Um, but um, 3CR played as twice at least on programs. I'm sure other programs will play it, has played her speech at that rally, so... Um, that's it.
Yeah. What have we got on next week? Next week we've got um, we're going to talk about. Well, it's a good question. Now you we've got, we? oh, you've got um, Colin McNaughton coming on. Yes. Um, so we've got Colin McNaughton coming on to talk about um, Earth Worker Cooperative Network and also um, how we can you know become um, more of a community in our activism, you know, how we can bring storytelling and, and music and, and things like 3CR and radio um, to help bring people together. That's right. And Kelly Whitworth, and who's in the next studio at the moment, will be able to go. It's 10 o'clock, but uh, Kelly's come out to talk about a report she did about housing as well. So, yeah.